Well, hello, friends, as I used to say when I was a child in all the ships at sea. This is episode 19 in our bi-weekly series of Saving Christianity, coming to you every other Tuesday from Christian Family Online. I'm Owen Allen, your host for today. Uh, John Shields, my co-host, is out of town today. Um, and, but in many of our previous episodes, we've briefly mentioned two very important people in first century Christianity. You'll recognize them. Their names are Paul and Peter. They're usually called apostles. We'll talk about that in a moment. And most Christians have heard their names mentioned by their pastor from the pulpit. But, you know, many of us, starting with me, uh, know who Paul and Peter were, or more importantly, what their significance is in early Christian history. So, uh, my co-host John Shields and I decided that uh, we would devote two of our podcast episodes to telling you who these two early Christian people were and why they're so important in Christian history. I think you're going to enjoy discovering these two, quotes apostles and discovering their miraculous lives in first century Christianity. Now, we've decided to tell you about Paul first. So the title of this episode is, episode 19 here, is The Life and Death of Paul. The Life and Death of Paul. Unless I'm badly mistaken, you're about to hear some unusual facts that you've probably never heard before, but let's get started. The first thing you should know about Paul uh, is that he's truly, uh, absolutely a spiritual giant in Christian history. Now, he's not a giant because he had any political power or any military power or any financial power because he didn't. He's a giant solely because he had spiritual power. And more importantly, and this is a biggie, because he taught that all of us, all other Christians, are supposed to have that level of spiritual power too. So in today's episode, we have two missions. Our first mission is to give you these facts about Paul that you may not know, but more importantly, our second mission is to tell you some facts about spiritual power itself that you may not have thought about. Now, starting with Paul, originally he was known as Saul of Tarsus. That was his Jewish name. In Bible times, he was Jewish, and he was named after Israel's first king. You may have heard of him, King Saul. But Paul was born in 1 A.D. in Tarsus, a seaport town in southern Turkey. And that's important to the story. We shouldn't even maybe mention that. But it's important to remember because Turkey was a Roman province at the time. And what that meant was that everybody born there was automatically a Roman citizen by birth, a birthright Roman citizen. 
And so Paul was. And this saved his life many times during his travels, as we'll talk about, because Roman citizens could not be arrested and could not be tried without due process and a fair trial. And most importantly, they couldn't be executed without an absolutely complete and fair trial. And these laws played a big role in Paul's life, as we're about to see. But to continue, it was because Paul was a Roman citizen that he eventually became known by his Latin or Roman name, Paul. And interestingly enough, the word Paul in Latin, Paulus in Latin, means small or little. And we'll see that Paul was a short man, a little petite man. But Paul's father back in Turkey was a Pharisee. That was a strict group, as you probably know, in the Jewish religion that believed in strict obedience to the Ten Commandments, as well as over 600 other Jewish laws. So, at the tender age of 13, if you can imagine, Paul's father shipped him off to Jerusalem in Israel to start his training to become a Pharisee, too. And so he did, and the years passed, and after graduating as a Pharisee, Paul had the equivalent of what we would call today a doctor's degree. He was fluent, too, in three of the main first century languages, Latin, Greek, and Aramaic. And after graduation, though, he boarded a ship, left Jerusalem, thinking probably that he would never go back, and he sailed home to Tarsus, where he became a rabbi in a local synagogue, and he stayed there until age 31, thinking, I guess, that he would be there the rest of his life. But at age 31, Paul's life changed dramatically and was never the same. Well, why was that? Well, because while he was still serving every day as a rabbi in the local synagogue, he began to hear very strange rumors that back in Jerusalem, where he had gone to school, there was a strange new group of people, and these people had mysteriously appeared. Nobody's exactly sure how or why, and they were called themselves followers of the way. And they were so strange that people back in Jerusalem were calling them a new race of humans. Imagine. But as a loyal Pharisee, this enraged Paul. He decided these new followers were committing blasphemy. Blasphemy because they openly used the name of God, which Jews did not do. And they openly said that Jesus was the Son of God, which totally Jews did not do. So completely enraged, Paul left home, left the synagogue, left his duties as a rabbi, boarded a ship, and set sail for Jerusalem, determined to help the Pharisees in Jerusalem wipe out, wipe out these blasphemous followers of the way. And so it comes to pass that this is when we see our first mention of Paul in the Bible. He was present at the execution of the first follower of the way to be publicly executed. His name was Stephen. 
He was a spirit-filled follower who performed miracles every day in the city. And so the Pharisees charged him with blasphemy because he was doing that and sentenced him to death by stoning. And the record of that event, the record of Stephen's death, says that Paul was present. Of course, they called him Saul in his Jewish name, but Paul was present at that stoning, and he not only approved of it, but he actually helped by holding the coats of the people who were throwing the stones. Apparently, for whatever reason, he didn't throw a stone, but he held their coats. Now, we can see two important things in this story. First, we need to notice Stephen's incredible spirituality. He had the kind of spirit-filled spiritual power that was common among all early Christians. Think about that for a minute. And the second thing to notice, though, is the word approved in the record. Remember, it said that Paul approved of the stoning. Well, that's actually a weak translation of the original Greek word in the record because that word really means, check this out, that Paul took pleasure in the stoning. It gratified him. He liked it, and he had an appetite for more. Can you imagine? He was a bloodthirsty character. So the Pharisees in Jerusalem got excited, and they appointed Paul as chief prosecutor of this Christian group. And they gave him a commission to arrest, torture, and execute as many of these weird followers as he could catch. You remember, of course, from earlier episodes that we Christians were originally called followers of the way. And so these were the people, the early Christians, that Paul was trying to catch. Well, Finally, after dealing with all the Christians in the city of Jerusalem that he could locate, Paul's thirst for vengeance still was not satisfied. (laughs) He decided to form a posse and to travel to the city of Damascus in Syria to see if he could catch any Christians there. See, Damascus was a major city like Jerusalem, and... um, there were a lot of these strange followers there. But but Paul had a problem because travel was dangerous in those days. There were deep rivers to ford with no bridges. There were gangs of bandits to fight. Uh, facilities for sleeping and eating were rare or even non-existent on most roads. <laughs> they didn't have uh, holiday inns like we do today. But anyway, in 33 A.D., Paul started out for Damascus, riding a strong horse and being led by a posse of armed men on horses who were surrounding him for protection. And so it was there on the Damascus road that Paul's life changed forever. Because it's weird, just as he and his posse came within sight of the city, something incredible happened. Jesus suddenly appeared to Paul in a vision right there on the road with such power that Paul fell off of his horse and went blind. A blinding light surrounded him. And he heard Jesus say to him, Why are you persecuting me? Imagine that. Why are you persecuting me? 
and Paul's lying on the, on the road blind. But he had enough wits about him to ask, Who are you, Lord? Imagine that. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do next. Well, the members of Paul's posse had actually heard the voice and witnessed this whole event. So they helped Paul get up, and they took him into the city, and they found a house for him to stay while he recovered. And to make a long story short, Paul fasted and prayed in that house for three days. And then suddenly a local Christian of the city was sent by the Holy Spirit to pray for Paul. Now, if you read the record, he was afraid to go because he knew how bloodthirsty Paul was. But the Holy Spirit said, you'll be safe, go anyway. And that's actually how Paul himself became a spirit-filled Christian. So here we have Paul, who had been the chief prosecutor of Christians, was now a Christian himself. Now he was the one who was going to be persecuted. But before we talk about how Paul was persecuted, let's first talk about his call to service in the Christian community. This is known in Sunday school classes and and, uh, sermons as Paul's famous Damascus Road experience, the Damascus Road experience. But that was only the beginning of Paul's incredible supernatural servanthood or servantship in Christianity. You know, we don't have the time here to tell that full story of his amazing journey, but instead, let's just pick up Paul's story 10 years after the Damascus Road experience. He's now living, he went back to Turkey, he's now living in Antioch, Turkey, where he was serving the Christian community there get this now, as a teacher and as a prophet. So here this bloodthirsty uh, torturer of Christians 10 years earlier was now a beloved teacher and prophet in the Christian community at Antioch. Now notice Paul had a double call to Christian service already as we pick up the story. But then, and this is what we want to see here, uh, another incredible supernatural miracle occurred, and here's what it was. Right there in Antioch, one day, while the group was praying, the Holy Spirit appeared again to Paul. And this time, the Spirit gave him his third call. This time, his call was as an apostle, And that's why we call him the Apostle Paul. Imagine, can can you see this? As far as I know, Paul is the only New Testament character that had a triple call. Numbers of them had double calls, like Peter will talk in another episode. But Paul had a triple call as a teacher, as a prophet, as an apostle. And that, I believe, is the first reason why he was what we call a spiritual giant. He had this triple supernatural call to service on his life with all that that would imply. 
And by the way, it's important to know that a spiritual call from the Spirit is different from spiritual fruit and from spiritual gifts of the Spirit. Think about it. All Christians don't have a call from the Spirit like Paul did, but all Christians do have spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts from the Spirit. But having said that, let's pause just a second to talk about this word apostle. I said earlier, most Christians have heard this used by their pastor in the pulpit, but many don't know exactly what it means. The word apostle in the prophet comes from the Greek noun apostolos, meaning a person sent out from some group as an ambassador with an important message for other people. Think about that. That's an apostle. And so that's why Paul and Peter and John and Luke and so many more of the best-known Bible characters were all apostles, apostolos. They were called by the Holy Spirit to go out to other cities as ambassadors with the wonderful message of Christianity. But check this out now. This is important. More than all that, these apostles were also recognized for their strong expression or manifestation of the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. And that's the second reason why Paul was a spiritual giant in Christian history. He expressed so many spiritual gifts from the indwelling Holy Spirit within him. The Bible says clearly, and here's the statement, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Let's read that again. Think about that. We should be seeing that today, shouldn't we? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Can you imagine? Well, just to be clear, let's name a few of those. What were some of the gifts of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit expressed through Paul? Uh, We see a number of them in the Bible. We won't list them all, but, of course, he had incredible healings. He recognized evil spirits. All kinds of miracles were done in his presence. Uh, He had evangelism. He had resurrection power, the Bible says. He had visions. He had many other supernatural abilities. We think of the angels appearing and guiding him and telling him what to do. And all of that brings us to the third reason why Paul was a spiritual giant. I don't really like that term, but it's one that everybody uses. It was because he had so many spiritual experiences. Let's add that to the gifts and the fruit and the call. He had four of these big supernatural experiences. We saw earlier he was knocked off of his horse on Damascus Road. That's not a gift. That's not fruit. That's a spiritual experience. Later in life, he had what today we call a near-death experience in which he went to heaven and returned. That's not a fruit, and that's not a gift. That's a spiritual experience. And then, as I mentioned, angels appeared to him constantly with messages, with guidance, and those are spiritual experiences when an angel appears to you. Poor Paul was in several shipwrecks, but he was unharmed. If that wasn't enough, remember, in one case, a deadly snake, a fatal snake bit him, but he was unharmed. 
And the list of incredible miracles and events goes on and on. And all of these were spiritual experiences. So the fourth reason, though I've already mentioned it, that I call Paul a spiritual giant is that he had such deep and profound spiritual behavior, spiritual behavior or spiritual emotions. This is what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. In the original Greek, that noun fruit uh, means behavior that the Holy Spirit produces in us. There are about 20 of these supernatural behaviors or emotions inside us that the indwelling Holy Spirit produces, and the record of Paul's life lists many of them. And they include, of course, supernatural. Hold a second. These are supernatural now. These cannot be produced by human nature. So let's start again. They include supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul had all of these. The important thing is all of us, all Christians, should have them too and are supposed to. Imagine if all the world had supernatural love and joy and peace and patience, what a place it would be. Well, let's slow down just a second. We've been talking about spiritual power since the top of the show, so now let's define it. The word for power in the Bible is the Greek noun dunamis, dunamis. And briefly, dunamis means the supernatural ability or supernatural potential. It means us allowing God to work through us supernaturally with these spiritual calls, fruit, gifts, and experiences that we've been talking about. So, O Paul, God worked through him all four ways with calls, fruit, gifts, and experiences. And that can happen to all of us if we'll just let the Holy Spirit do it. Well, so now as we come toward the end of the episode, let's return to the life of Paul and let's pick up the thread of his story. And since our time is limited, let's jump ahead again. And now let's pick up the story where Paul was 58 years of age because this is the age at which he himself was finally arrested and imprisoned by the Sanhedrin. That was the ruling council of Jerusalem, and this happened in 58 A.D. Now, this council of Jewish elders held Paul in prison for two years in the capital of Israel, which at that time was the seaport city of Caesarea Maritima in northern Israel. And they did that, mind you, without due process, without a trial. And as we said earlier, that was totally illegal because Paul was a Roman citizen. But they did it with armed soldiers, and what chance of hope did Paul have? So here he is, he's in prison in Caesarea, and interestingly enough, the record shows that he was questioned by two different Roman governors, Felix and Festus, because they changed governorship while he was in prison. And even even a year later in 59 AD, he was even questioned by the king of Israel at that time, Agrippa. 
And Agrippa said that Paul was innocent and should be released. And at that point, he would have been, except for one problem. He had appealed, he had filed a formal appeal to Rome that as a Roman citizen, uh, he wanted a formal trial. So they couldn't release him. They had to put him on a ship and send him to Rome. And, of course, that's what they did. Uh, And by the way, let me just say here that the good thing about the Bible is that it's true, if you've ever thought about that. We know the Bible's true because so much of it has been verified by scientific research. For example, we know that King Agrippa was a real person. Why? Because a statue of him still stands in Rome today. I've studied it, and I'm including a picture of Agrippa here in the script. I hope you'll open the script on our website at goscpod.com and look at King Agrippa, a picture of the man who questioned Paul and found Paul innocent. But Paul still wasn't released, of course. And so to continue, Paul arrived by ship in Rome in 61 A.D., and what did they do? They held him in prison there for another two years. Finally, his appeal was heard by the emperor of Rome, who that at that time was Nero. And he also declared Paul innocent, and he did release him in 63 A.D., And Paul immediately left town to continue his apostleship to worldwide Christians. And by the way, the fact that he left town so quickly temporarily saved his life. Why? Because a few months after Paul left town, the first great persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire broke out. And among other things, it caused the apostle Peter to be executed, as we'll see in a later episode. But this persecution of Christians is called in the history books the Great Fire of Rome. Here's what happened. One night, and it was actually July the 18th, 64 A.D., a small accidental fire broke out in a shop in downtown Rome. Everybody was asleep and didn't notice it, and the fire quickly spread. Now, mind you, the Emperor Nero was on vacation at the time. He was at the beach and had nothing to do with this fire. But this fire got away from them. They had an excellent uh, fire department, by the way, in Rome. But the fire got away from them, and it burned for six days and six nights, and it destroyed half of the city of Rome. Imagine And that left 200,000 citizens homeless. Well, Nero obviously came back from vacation. He opened emergency shelters. He distributed emergency food, but there was nothing else he could do. And then he made a big mistake. Nero had been planning for months, maybe years, to build himself a new palace. But he had never started it. And so after the fire, he decided now he would start his new palace and he would put it on some of these flat, burned-out lots in the city. And he called his new palace the Golden House, the Golden House. But Nero had political enemies, and they wanted to stop him. So they spread the lie that Nero himself had started the Great Fire of Rome, and he had done it on purpose— 
so he would have room for his crummy new palace. Imagine. And so citywide protest marches broke out, and this scared Nero. And to protect himself, he started a counter-lie. He spread the counter-lie that it was the Christians, it was the Christian community in Rome who had started the great fire. And nobody ever said why the Christians would want to do that or what they would gain from that. But that's the way with all lies, isn't it? When you look at them, they don't make any real sense. But in October 64, Nero's counter lie triggered the first great Christian persecution of the empire, as I've already mentioned, and thousands of Christians were rounded up like sheep and tortured to death in horrible ways, men, women, and children. We won't even talk here about what was done to them. But since Paul had left town earlier to continue on what we call his missionary journeys, he was safe, and he escaped this great persecution, at least for a while. So this great persecution that started in 64 A.D. lasted for three to four long years until late 67 A.D. And here's one of history's great mysteries. Nobody knows why this happened. But for some reason, the Apostle Paul returned to Rome, if you can imagine, in 67 A.D. while the... uh, Great persecution was still going on. He must have known the danger, but he came back anyway. Why? A lot of theories. Maybe it was to encourage some of the persecuted Christians. Maybe it was to try to find out what had happened to Peter. We don't know. But, of course, Nero's soldiers soon recognized Paul on the street. He was very recognizable, as we'll see in a moment. And they arrested him, and they threw him in prison again. Now, it's interesting that the chains that these soldiers used to bind Paul and the cell that they put Paul in still exist in Rome today. I've studied them, and I'm including pictures of Paul's chains and his prison cell here in the script. But this is where the amazing life of the Apostle Paul and his incredible Christian service came to an end. The Emperor Nero proclaimed Paul guilty this time and sentenced him to death. Now remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. So the soldiers couldn't torture him or crucify him or uh, subject him to any kind of a shameful death. Under Roman law, the only thing they could do to him was behead him in a clean, sharp way. And so on a bright and Sunday morning in June, it was on June the 29th, in fact, and 67 A.D., Paul was marched out of the city by a troop of soldiers and marched out to the third milestone on the Ostian Highway. Now, it's interesting, a group of loyal Christians followed the procession at a safe distance to watch and see what was going to happen, and Paul was led off the road into a grassy area and beheaded there with a sword. And today, 
the place where he was beheaded is the site of a monastery in Italy, outside of Rome there. And a picture of that place, uh, that monastery, is included here in the script. And you can see in the center of the picture, a stone column is visible in the courtyard. And this is the exact place where Paul was beheaded. Now, as it happened, there was a small private family cemetery right near that place where Paul was beheaded, and it was on the land of a wealthy, politically connected, loyal Christian woman named Matrona Lucila. Lucila. Her husband was an influential person in the Roman government, and so she was safe from persecutions uh, and wasn't hunted down like the other Christians. And she had, in fact, used her husband to get permission to take Paul's body after he was beheaded. And she did. And she had him buried in her, in her private family cemetery on her estate. And Paul's grave has been there ever since as a pilgrimage site for uh, pilgrims, Christian pilgrims. Now, this is important. Under Roman law, graves could not be moved or disturbed in any way. So today, Paul's body is still there in Lucilla's family cemetery. But to protect it from any kind of vandalism or grave robbers or anything that might happen. In the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine bought that cemetery, and he placed a heavy marble slab over Paul's grave, and he built a huge basilica, a so-called church building, over the grave with the altar directly over Paul's grave, and that's where Paul lies today. And I'm including pictures of that marble slab and the altar here in the script. So, as we come to the close of this episode on the life and death of the Apostle Paul, let's ask ourselves one last question. What did Paul look like? What did Paul look like? People didn't have cameras in those days, right? So all they could do is paint pictures of people or carve statues of them. And that was only done for the rich and powerful. So we don't know what very many, if any, of the first century Christians looked like. But we do know from the early Christian letters that Paul was 67 when he was beheaded. We know that he was a small man. We know that he was terribly scarred from his many tortures and beatings. So we know more about Paul the way he would have looked than any of the other Bible characters. But here's the kicker. We're also very fortunate that a carving was made of Paul, and that still exists today. It's in a vault in Rome. It's guarded by armed guards because it's priceless, and very few people are allowed to even see it. But I've studied it, and I'm including a picture of it here in the episode. And you can see in this carving of Paul the terrible scarring 
from his many beatings. It even appears that his right eye has been put out. And you can see that he had a beard, that he was short and stocky, and that he was actually deformed. And so we do know a lot about this wonderful man. In closing, what message can we draw from Paul's dramatic life? What, what principles from his life could still apply to us today? Well, Paul taught that the supernatural fruit and gifts and experiences that flow out of us all, all of us Christians, from the indwelling Holy Spirit are valid and are needed in every generation. He taught that they're the normal Christian life and that all of us should be expressing them in our lives daily. He taught that we can't live a successful Christian spiritual life without them. And personally, I found uh, that to be absolutely factually true. And I'm praying that you out there in podcast land will find it factually true in your life too. But for now, I can see from the big clock on the wall that my time is up in this episode. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the life and death of the Apostle Paul and that his story has inspired you to do what? To go deeper in your own Christian walk. Remember, this is episode 19, and a script and recording of it are on our website at goscpod.com. And that's especially important with this episode because of the rare and interesting pictures of Paul's life and death. Now, in upcoming episode, I'm going to tell you about the life and death of another famous apostle, the Apostle Peter. His story is every bit as interesting and fascinating as Paul's story. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you, but for now. This is Owen Allen speaking for myself and for our intrepid producer, Shannon Wolf, saying, May the God of our fathers bless you and keep you and guide you and protect you until we meet again. <laughs>